Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of Eat Well, Move Well. Uh, we're uh, sitting here kind of uh, Indian style, um, Roland and I, after work, and um, sat down to record this uh, episode that has been long coming. Almost every day after work, we're like, ah, oh, we'll be able to make it tonight. And uh, here we are, Monday night. So we usually say, let's do the podcast after we have dinner, and um, then after we have dinner, um, we go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So tonight, Galena said, uh, "Why don't we do the podcast first, and as an incentive to actually be able to eat?" So, yeah. So if you don't know, uh, no podcast, no food for us. Is so. that a Bob Marley song? I guess so. Mm-hmm. No podcast, no food. Yeah. I don't know how that's going to go. So we wanted to open talking about um, ancestral health. Um, just this last week. Um, as some of you may know that Noah's Better, Roland um, does some mentoring for Precision Nutrition, and they had Ancestral Day on Thursday. Yeah, we're about, the the, the guys are eight months, mm-hmm. or I think they started in March. I don't, I don't remember, I think. So I think they're six months in, about halfway through, and there's different lessons that you get every week, and the last couple of weeks they've been trying some new things. We had a plant-based day. Uh, I think there was a, like a low carb day way back when, and this was Ancestral Eating Day. So Ancestral Eating Day is a close close to, to home for me because that's pretty much as you guys all know or should know by now, uh, where we eat pretty much ancestrally, what we consider like a real food diet most of the time. And they asked Roland to um, do a little video to inspire his peeps there. Uh, so we shot that last week, and we'll link it in the show notes. So that you can look at it too. It's a it's a pretty short and sweet video on one, what ancestral means and just a couple of ideas on how to have your own ancestral day of eating. But Roland, do you remember what you had on that day? Can you share? Because I know what dinner was, but I have no idea what you did during the day. Yeah, I did. I did a pretty. I tried to keep it pretty normal, but also to make it pretty realistic for the guys. Because the guys on uh, on Precision Nutrition were kind of some of them were kind of stressed about it. Like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do for Ancestral Health Day? How am I going to? It's like they're envisioning having to go and hunt their own food or get their like own that. wasp larva. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> wasp larva. And um, so I kept it pretty much how I eat. And I'm not a. I'm not like a. A paleo stickler, like I'm not, you know, everything has to be grass fed, purely organic. I live in the real world, I just try to do the best I can and uh, eat as healthy as possible under a certain, you know, parameters. So, as is usual, I had coffee and I, since I uh, usually have half and half, but I skipped the dairy for the day since the ancestral day was. Uh, there's more strict paleo just to sort of give people a taste of, of how it is. So, so no dairy, no, no dairy. grains. Okay. I did not do the bulletproof coffee either, which is another uh, <laughs> sort of a paleo fad. Uh, I just went black coffee. It was really good. I could have done coconut milk. A couple of the guys on the forum on Precision Nutrition did coconut milk or almond milk, which is fine, but I just went black coffee. I can barely think of anything more disgusting than almond milk and coffee, so... Uh, yeah, I don't like it. I'd rather go black. I'm glad that you went with black. Yeah. It, uh, sometimes I like a little bit of coconut milk, but it's nothing like milk, so it's a totally different thing. So it's, yeah, sort of it's like, like coffee or tea, 
coffee with coconut milk is totally different, but enjoyable for a totally different reason. So. so you just had coffee, no breakfast? I don't usually eat breakfast, so that was no... Our paleo ancestors yeah, no, just no, nothing different woke up for with me. coffee, nothing else? Yes, they just started their day with coffee. <laughs> and because they didn't have blenders, they did not bulletproof their coffee. That is true. Yes, so... Uh, then around lunchtime, uh, so I knew one of, some of my coworkers wanted to uh, have a little meeting over lunch, and um, I'm, I try to be as flexible as possible under my dietary restrictions, <laughs> and I can eat anything anywhere. I can find something pretty much anywhere. And so they wanted to go to In-N-Out Burger, so... Um, oh, that so, wasn't even a challenge. I know, Come bunless on. burgers, but... I think it's a fair thing, and I think it's a good example for people who have trouble envisioning envisioning uh, what you can eat on an ancestral diet. So, sure. Okay, so burgers without a bun. I got extra tomatoes. I didn't get the spread, which has a bunch of um, soybean oil in it and sugar. I got extra pickles, extra tomatoes, lots of lettuce. It was lettuce wrapped and um, mustard which is a pretty tasty addition to any burger. And then because the precision nutrition, they really focus, you want to have vegetables with protein. And even though, you know, tomatoes and pickles and lettuce are technically vegetables, um, I brought some vegetables from home. So I got a, had a couple of uh, cucumbers, some Persian cucumbers in a bag, and a cut-up bell pepper. So did you have that with your colleagues? Yeah. What did they think? Well, I thought it was kind of weird, but um, <laughs> but I explained to them, you know, I'm mentoring some guys, and I wanted to give a good example sure. of how to, how to do it. And they said, well, what do you do if we weren't here? And I said, well, I probably wouldn't have gone in and out, but, you know, or I would have extra vegetables tonight. Sure. But I try to eat vegetables, or if I would have had vegetables at breakfast, if I would have had vegetables, sure. I would have made up for it. But sometimes you can get, you know, to be, to be fair, like a lot of people think, uh, like we wrote about it in our book, when you get a bunless burger with lettuce wrap and, and some extra tomatoes, that's usually more vegetables than one of those little side salads that you can get at a restaurant. I've weighed them before. I've taken them apart, and I had a little scale, and I, I weighed it. And I actually I'm like, wow, this is actually more vegetables yeah. than my side salad. Truth is, most what's considered salad in the U.S. usually some sort of a green leafy thing, which has a lot of fluff, but not a lot of actual... Like, if you condensed it down, it, there's really not much going on for it. So you'd have to bring some more fibrous vegetables if you really want to get full on anything like that. Or just eat your fluffy salad. Eat your fluffy salad. <laughs> yes. So, okay, so after that lunch, then I went through, I think I had some um, some nuts and some beef jerky for mm-hmm. a snack. Then, um, I'm not a big fan of fruit. But I think I've maybe had a had a piece of fruit, just to show them that it's possible. Um, I had an apple, but um, I'm not a huge. It's not that I don't like fruit. I just it's not the fruit does not call to me like it calls to some people. And then what do we have for dinner? We had um, I think you made it. For, you made dinner. I made a slow cooked carnitas. So it was a big pot roast. Pork roast. Pork roast with. Um, just spices and grapefruit onions and, and grapefruit, grapefruit, onions, garlic. garlic. It was and really some spices in there. Some oregano, and then, cilantro. It was really good. Yeah, so she cooked it until it was really ten, like fork tender, and then we um, 
broiled it or pan broiled it, I guess, so it gives a little bit of crispy edges. And we served it with some um, carrots that were simmered down in the sauce, mm-hmm. and uh, some squash, and. Um, and we made lettuce tacos. I mean, lettuce wrap taco, lettuce that was, cups. That was the day before. Was it? Yeah. Mm. We actually took a picture of this one. So we oh, yes, yeah, so it was just a big a plate yeah, of a variety of things. It was just a plate of, things, of a variety yeah. of things, yeah. We'll, we'll post one so you can see it. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was good. And then we had something for dessert. Yeah. Fruit. We just had fruit. Mango. Mango. So it was pretty awesome. Yeah. So that was a great day. I really enjoyed it. And actually, even though we eat, um, quote-unquote, ancestral diet at home 90% of the time, it was exciting for me to figure out, like, what could I make for you that was extra flavorful and extra special. So that was a... It was a good day for me to try to figure out how to make you happy. Yeah. And show off to the other precision nutrition peeps. Yeah, and I don't think you... So, you know, I posted... Galena helped me make the video, and then I posted it back sort of behind the scenes for the guys to mm-hmm. get, you know... To, it was the day before, so they could get an idea of what what you're going to do on an ancestral day. And they really appreciated it, and they're like, oh, it's not so hard. You no. Know, it's, it's not so hard, and like a lot of them uh, posted what they ate, and they had... They did grilling, slow cooking. They made one made a stew, and um, it was pretty simple. I love it. I love when guys take control of their health. I think it's, I think it's sexy. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah. Talking about ancestral. Um, well, I don't think it's sexy. I think by the time that uh, this podcast is being downloaded, you're already going to be there. But you're leaving in a couple of days. Yes, on Wednesday, I'm going up to Berkeley for the Ancestral Health Symposium. Is there something that's exciting for you? Like, I know that. Well, it's a three-day conference where they focus on, it's like the paleo nerds, and they're going to be really focused on, um, well, you know, in the past, they've really focused on, sometimes they focus on fine-tuning. I'm hoping that there's more things that are more applicable to overall health since we're you know i feel like i have a pretty good handle on the nutrition side like what matters to me and and what and what's like what i can get away with but i need help on you know stress um sleep i look forward to um but also i want to be able to take some of the things i learn and translate it out to other people because i think a, a lot of times that um, the, the, the more ways the, these messages are um, are put out there, the more likely it is for people to, to get an interest in it. That's true. I look forward to you listening to um, um, Dan from Dance Plan. Dan Party? Yeah, about um, sleep and, and, and just being able to help with our, cl- our clients with the most challenging um, stuff because food after a couple of months of logging and experimenting you 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 can kind of figure out what's tasty what keeps you satisfied but where we really see a challenge with most people is figuring out sleep discipline and you know convincing them that you know the amber glasses you wear on at night aren't silly right and nobody's going to make fun of you well you know it's funny because in in one respect People look at that like that's ridiculous, and I, and I don't know if you, if you, people who are listening um, know about this, but you know there's uh, some theories about sleep and about how light affects our circadian rhythms and how the un, the unnatural light that we use throughout our lives has been negatively affecting and throwing off our our circadian rhythms or our, yes. our, 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 our sleep health patterns and our health. And so one of the things is they wear these glasses. You know, people they suggest you wear these 
amber-colored glasses. They're like those blue blockers that you've probably seen on TV years ago. And they block certain wavelengths of light to make you make your body or your mind think or the 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 light sensitive the light without the glasses the light that's coming through from your desktop lights your televisions your iPad screens is the light that tells your mind that it's daytime yes and not just your mind but also telling you know those photosensitive particles in your eye that are responsible for telling your brain what time of day it is and what hormones to be made are getting the wrong signal. Correct. So it throws everything off. And they're even looking at lab animals becoming overweight under artificial light. There's a book called Lights Out that I highly recommend to those of you interested in how light affects us. But yeah, I want to see how these things are applicable. Or even more ways to understand the mechanism so we can better explain simply to people uh, how that's really making a difference. Because oftentimes these things that are so subtle to your health, they're making a difference so subtly you can't really feel it right away. Yeah, and you know that's like what I was going to say a few minutes ago was that in one respect, that seems like an extreme thing, like a big thing. You're going to wear these orange glasses (laughs) at night, you know, or you're going to put like a special program on your computer to turn the light um, orange instead of blue. So you don't have this blue light tricking your mind into thinking it's... Well, I have that, dead. and I don't feel like it's extreme. Well, no, but it's not, but other people might, right? But then, so there's that, which is a pretty, you know, it seems like a, a fairly, it's a simple change, but it's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's an advanced tactic, I guess, mm-hmm. for most people. Um, and I think that on the food side, so many people are focused on the advanced tactics before anyone has ever, before people have mastered the basics. Like doing a ketogenic diet before you've even eaten a real food diet for a while? Yeah. Or making sure you're only going to eat, okay, so you want to have, um, you want to follow an ancestral eating, but oh, we can't have pork because there's too, omega, too many omega-6s in it. Mm, I or, understand. Or, you know, th- are those eggs the ones that are pasture-raised and, you know, fed uh, an all-insect diet? Or what if there was, a, what if there was some soy in that, in the thing that the egg, the, 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 egg, the chicken ate? Or, it's like, but they're not even eating vegetables. And they're, so they go from having a Big Mac, oh, I'm, I shouldn't be eating this Big Mac, but what am I going to do because I can't get, I can't afford organic vegetables? I understand. I had a similar discussion in my, um, one of my online training groups today with, um, with a lady who eight months ago, uh, cut off dairy because of hormones, cut off a whole bunch of, um, foods because of suspicion there could be genetically modified and went raw vegan. But then she didn't feel, she felt good on that in the beginning, but then didn't feel good and she started implementing some more foods. But her choice of foods is she's eating like seven things and she's absolutely phobic of eating anything else. So at the end of the day, the very disease she's trying to offset by changing her diet um, may be brought upon by this huge stress that she's experiencing because of freaking out about her food choices. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I'm, I'm really looking forward to you um, coming back and um, bringing some wisdom on, um, you know, just how to translate modern science using, you know, that ancestral um, lens of looking at health 
uh, into everyday people speak. So I look forward to that. All right. And I wish I could come. I'm a little bit bitter that it's a boys' weekend, but <laughs> it is what it is. I'm sure there will be some girls there. Yeah. Talk about that when you come back. Okay. Um, so we, we brought up coffee uh, in this discussion a little bit. And uh, I just wanted to go go over coffee just as a um, as a sh- just short burst today um, because people often ask us, is coffee bad for you? Should I stop drinking coffee? And Chris Kresser just did a great podcast just on coffee. Remember, um, like a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. he had one on just coffee, and and pretty much the verdict was, well, if you tolerate it, have it, and if you don't tolerate it, don't have it. Um, But something I wanted to mention was um, I've had a number of clients recently that um, have started talking about, you know, how important it is to get, like, the best coffee out there that has no toxins, that, um, you know, is supposed to be um, just not only organic but made a certain way. And uh, they're paying a lot of money to get this coffee on the Internet that is supposedly... You know, they, they kind of have the green card or the green light to keep drinking it and drinking as much of it as they want because, it's see, it's not as bad for you as other coffees. And um, I just wrote one of my clients and I gave her some suggestions for alternatives. Um, you don't have to buy this super expensive coffee that someone says is awesome for you based on hype and uh, not much science. But you can get better coffee than what you're drinking now, right? Mm-hmm. So something that we've been doing, Roland and I, is um, finding local places that roast organic or fair trade coffee and just getting um, a good supply of coffee from there. So in your area, you can just Google, try to find some coffee roasters or in your favorite um, non-chain coffee place, you can ask them where they get their beans. And uh, it won't be... Probably will be easy to to find within you know twentyish miles of you somebody who roasts coffee and who has fresh uh, organic or fair trade coffee, so that you can better control the quality of your coffee. So it's in small batches, it's not sitting around for a long time, it has great flavor, and then you're paying to support your local economy as well. Yeah. So the the the, the idea of this coffee that's super low in toxins and it's mold it's the it's mold and mycotoxins and, yeah and the toxins that come from the byproducts of that mold mm-hmm. and if you talk to coffee roasters they say oh yeah coffee roasters have known about that for hundreds of years and that problem was taken care of hundreds of years ago and by properly drying properly storing and properly roasting the coffee so yeah, so while what they say is, hey, yeah, coffee contains all these these toxins, everything does. Nuts, grains, peanuts, <laughs> seeds, fruit, all, all these things contain these these, um, this, these different molds. Cheese is made out of, you know, it's like the it's cheese is, mold is behind the cheese. In a recent package so, of trail mix we bought, 90% of the content was mold. Oh, my gosh, we had like a... <laughs> It was so gross. We had like it was an individually wrapped package of 
trail mix. So each one was like a handful yeah. of trail mix. Yeah. One's like 200 calories serving of trail mix. And there's like 15 in, a, in the bag, 15 bags within the bag. And like most of them were fine, but like three of them were so bad that you took a bite and you're like, I had to spit it out. It was so rancid. We had a lifetime worth of uh, mycotoxins in, yeah. that, in that little batch of trail mix that we bought. Yeah. But anyways, just common sense, guys. Instead of... Uh, you know, jumping on, hey, there's another bad thing, because we're very quick to point fingers. It's like, oh, bread is bad, dairy is bad, pork is bad, and, and just jumping on, okay, so what's the substitute? And usually the people that are pointing the fingers, um, you know, with the wave the fingers with the most energy are the ones also trying to sell you something. So, you know, just look at what are the motifs of those people that are trying to educate you and uh, don't be too fast to jump on the next thing do your research and by all means you can never go wrong by supporting your local roasters and knowing them Um, or if you don't have anybody locally you can write us an email Um, just shoot us an email at thefitting at gmail.com and uh, we'll give you some ideas that we have found useful for people who ship was that everything for coffee did I miss anything um, yeah, but th- this came up also because of the ancestral day. Like, how do you, like, somebody said, well, I hate black coffee. I said, well, have you ever had good coffee? And I said, well, I don't know. Like, that's the coffee I get. And they got, we're buying this, the coffee in one of those bins from the grocery store. And it probably wasn't bad coffee, but they didn't like it black. Um, because in their words, they could taste the coffee. So... Yeah, so I suggested going to like a nicer place and just buy a very small amount or go to like one of those coffee snob coffee bar places where, you know, they do the little, they make sure to swirl it clockwise and the guy with the the skinny tie and the rolled up, you know, the short sleeve dress shirt will make the coffee um, specifically the way he wants to make it and you're going to like it. Um, But go there and you'll be surprised that black coffee is really good. Yeah. So, you know, if it's good when they make it, it's not, it may not be perfect when you make it, but if you buy some of the beans that have been properly roasted, properly stored, and properly ground, then you're going to have a pretty good cup of black coffee at home. And then, then you're going to realize that, you know, maybe it's worth spending a little bit more to get black coffee and reap the health benefits of the coffee without maybe the negatives of the, the sugar and the, the creamer that, in this case, that the guy was, uh, guy was having. having. Yeah. I had a recent experience in, uh, I took a four-day training course, and we had, uh, in the back of the room, there was a calf station and a decaf station, and there was always coffee that was freshly brewed, and I was like, oh, how nice of them, but the coffee was not good. No? Uh, it was, it was, I think it was Folgers, it was sort of like oh, Maxwell House, like good. one of those, like, coffee diner, diner, like, grandma coffees. And, um, you know, like, by 3 or 4 in the afternoon when I was tired from trying to focus all day, I would go and just get a cup and then just regret it. And not wanting to waste it, I would still drink it. But, you know, it was such a reminder that, um, you know, we have spoiled ourselves rotten with these local coffee roasters. Well, I also think if you haven't had a good cup of coffee, like, really, where you really tried to get a good cup of coffee... um, Give it another shot. I had one of my uh, uh, one of my friends who's a little bit older than me. I was having a cup of decaf, and he said, "Decaf, that stuff's so nasty. Why do you even bother?" And I said, "What are you talking about? 
you know, it's like he had been to our house and he'd have decaf here, and maybe he didn't know it was decaf, but he thought that coffee was really good. So how do you, why is, why do you think decaf is nasty? Oh, it's just so nasty. I never drink anymore. Well, when's the last time you had it? Um, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, sure. something like that. Really? What did you have? I had it at a diner and like all they had was Sanka. Well, I don't know. You probably don't know what Sanka is because it's an American thing, but it's instant. It's, a, it's like a packet of instant coffee. Well, anything instant is yeah. disgusting. And especially instant coffees from 15 years ago. Sure. Were nasty. So you used to ask, hey, do you have any decaf? We have Sanka. And like people would go, oh, you know. Oh, thank you. But if you like Folgers Crystals, you were probably okay with Sanka. But if you like actual coffee, then Sanka is going to be nasty to you. Yeah. So give, if, you, if you're a decaf person, give a nice decaf from a quality coffee coffee roaster. Um, same with if you want to try black coffee. Yeah. Yeah, because they're not, they're not bad. They're good stuff. Very cool. So going from um, what we used to get ourselves, you know, energized and hopped up, uh, back to what we do to relax, right? Oh, yes. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Yes. The other day, I'm off with meeting with people, and I get a text message from her. <laughs> Guess where I'm going? Guess where I'm going? I'm going to I'm going to float. Yeah. So, um, you know, in our couple, we, we often joke that I'm the one that's more into experimenting with the mind-body stuff, as I think in... Every couple of the ladies probably more likely to experiment with mind-body stuff versus, you know, the guys that are much better off um, doing, I don't know, kettlebells and flipping tires, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in our um, book that's due in November, you know, we've been doing quite a bit of research um, for every chapter because every chapter is kind of standalone. It, there's... Everything kind of weaves together into a beautiful health tapestry, but every chapter is also standalone as to hear some ideas that you can try out and see what sticks with you, right? So a big part of the book is how to start reducing the stress in our lives and how to start managing stress in our lives. So um, I've been trying all these different ways um, to reduce my stress, whether it's mini like stress relief snack episodes throughout the day. That's not eating. That's just... Uh, you know, kind of instead of doing one big chunk of stress relief, you do like one minute or five minutes of doing something to reduce your, your stress levels up to um, huge things like floating. And um, Why don't you tell them what floating is? Yes. Floating is um, something that they started studying in the 50s and 60s. Um, I have a client who is a retired um, psychology professor. And he was telling me stories about how uh, when they were first uh, starting to send people in outer space, there was a lot of uh, kind of speculation on what is being in outer space, being out of gravity, um, not having the normal light, sound, and sight of Earth going to do to your brain. Like, are you going to go crazy or are you not going to go crazy? And so they were doing all this sensory deprivation research where uh, they would pay college students 10, 10 bucks an hour to float in these sensory deprivation tanks. And what those tanks or tubs are is uh, essentially something that looks like a giant bathtub with, um, with, with a, a cover, cover. With a cover. So um, you go in 
And the solution that you float in is not water, but it's water with minerals, right? So it's like salt water. So, so it's, it's like, like flo- floating in like in like the Dead Sea, but ten times saltier. Okay. So like the tank that I was in was probably eight by four, and um, it was probably one foot deep, and it had a thousand pounds of Epsom salts in it. So that's a significant amount. So when you lay in that liquid, it doesn't even feel like water. It's it's thicker, and it's more jelly, jello-y like. And it's body temperature. And it's slightly less than body temperature. It's about I think it's about ninety three or ninety four, um, and it's extremely pleasant. So they were paying these guys ten bucks an hour to try to figure out if they go crazy in there, and a lot of people couldn't take it. And the reason they couldn't take it is that when they put you in a tub with no stimulation, right? No light, no sound, no physical stimulation because you're not moving. You're just floating there like you did in your mama's womb. You are alone with who? With yourself. And who wants that? And who wants that, right? So most people are so unable to be with their own thoughts that... You know, they would just be like, oh, take your $10 back. I'm, I'm not doing this. And this was in the 50s and 60s. And now um, float tanks have come back as a way to reduce stress, um, help people relax better. It's sort of a meditative state that you so get So how did into. they get around the part where people don't want to be? Like, is there some stimulation in there? There's no stimulation in there. I've heard that there's some that have, that, that have music. Okay. The one I went to was hardcore. Uh, you pretty much it's pitch dark in there. Go in, you close the door behind you, and it's pitch black and it's completely quiet. So the only sound you can make, well, you can sing, I guess, right? But the only sound did that you? no, I did not. The only sound you can make is kind of like if you wiggle your feet or wiggle your hands, you can make like little blub 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 blub, kind of like little water sounds. But you know, there's not much else happening there, and. Once your your brain is not getting stimulated because there's no input, you're able to process a lot of what what they call the backlog. There's a lot of things in your brain that are constantly trying to be processed or trying to be established that can be processed or established because there's constantly new information coming in, right? So other than when you're sleeping, there's really no time that you're aware to your senses and to your felt sense but your brain is still in the background, is able to process very quickly. Mm-hmm. They're saying that an hour of floating equals four hours of sleep. So those people that are sleep deprived would do really well floating versus trying to nap. Mm-hmm. That would be a great um, implementation, I think. And a lot of people are saying that they get a, a great sense of mental clarity and focus from floating. I really enjoyed the physical sensation of being very relaxed because the the Epsom salts are relaxing. Think about like how much it relaxes you to dump five pounds of Epsom salts in your bathtub, and this is like a thousand. That is a lot. Hmm. So you're really able to suck up a lot of minerals and to really detox and and relax in there. Um, But also just I think there's something to the willingness to release tension. The willingness to stop creating tension and just let your body unwind, that is very powerful because you're participating in your relaxation. 
Um, I really like that about floating. It's interesting because this made me think of this study that came out a few weeks ago where they took college students and um, put them in a room where they asked them to spend, I think it was 15 minutes with their own thoughts, just no stimulation. And they pretty much just had this empty table that they would sit at. And they gave them an option to administer electric shock to themselves. Do you remember that? <laughs> and like 65% of men and 25% of women would rather shock themselves than be with their own thoughts. So they were sitting there when they got too bored with their yeah, thoughts. They we, would just shock themselves. Yes. There was a guy who shocked himself 150 <laughs> times. Like they had to take him they out took, of the study. because They he took was, his numbers out. Like yeah. they, he was like an outlier. He was skewing the study. <laughs> Um, so you just think about, you know, sometimes the, the very behaviors we engage in that we want to root out, like emotional eating or, uh, you know, gambling or buying too many shoes on the internet um, or, or any of those things that some of us do, um, are, are just to kind of quiet the mind because we don't want to hear what's going on in the background. And if you become more comfortable with what's going on in your mind, you also can disengage from all of these behaviors that are, you know, eventually taking you down a bad road. Hmm. Roland hasn't been floating yet, and um, I, I feel like, uh, you know, that's coming soon in our family, so we'll see what his experience is like. But I highly recommend it. It's also, I shock myself regularly. <laughs> yeah. It's also half the price of a massage, and the relaxation is way deeper on the physical level, and I highly recommend it. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I'll try it. I think Roland would try anything once. Um, he's really not into getting massages as much as I am, but maybe he'll like this thing because since nobody's actually touching you and you're left alone for an hour. Right? I don't mind being touched. It's the pain of the massage that I don't like. Yeah. See, like for somebody like him, probably floating is a better, better uh, option to relax. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in, in that chapter that I just wrote about uh, tension and relaxation, um, and it's, I believe it's called Let It Go, um, Become a Stress, uh, <laughs> a stress Detective, um, we talk about all these, the, this muscle pattern, the muscle tension patterns that we hold in our body that we're not aware exist, right? And if you don't know that something exists, exists how can you eradicate it? Right, like a lot of people um, will come to me to to my practice with uh, like tension in their shoulders, and they'll have these huge knots in their traps, and they're saying, "I don't know, I don't lift weights, I don't do anything strenuous, I don't really wear any bags on my shoulders," and yet look at my shoulders, like they're super tense. And sometimes when um, we're typing together, I'll remind you to drop your shoulders. Right? Because mm -hmm. you don't know, you're not aware that your shoulders are traveling up towards your ears. So, um, in the chapter, um, we cover all the major parts of the body that get tense, right? So, we go with brow, like the frowning, the frowning face, jaw, especially those people that have um, the syndromes with um, the jaw. Like TMJ. Mm hmm. Um, and, you know, or ear problems sometimes. Shoulder tension, then the tension created by sucking your belly in to um, pretend that you're thin or to feel better about yourself in those mm -hmm. pants. Um, squeezing your butt cheeks, holding the pelvic floor muscles tight, which can come from 
either um, trying to not go to the bathroom because you have like an important email to finish or you're on the phone call and you just can't say, oh, excuse me while I flush. What about people who who heard that Kegels were good for them so they continue to do Kegels yeah, all the time just because Kegels are supposed to be good for them? That that too. There's people that, um, you know, have, have been told to do the Kegel exercises and sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. You have to know that they're good for you and and for that you need to be tested by a pelvic floor physical therapist and we're finding in our testing that 90 percent of the people don't respond well to them they're actually detrimental and so uh you know with men we have chronic prostatitis we have erectile dysfunction all these things that are caused by holding it in or holding those muscles way too tight um then we have the tension in quads um that can create a lot of knee problems and oftentimes we also have in the hands and the feet, we have kind of like this gripping instinct that we do. Uh, we can grip our pens too tight. We can hold fists while we are talking. Uh, and nobody even knows about it. Or if you're standing, especially with the popularity of stand-up workstations, there's so many people gripping the floor with their toes that don't even realize it. So in the chapter, we cover all of these hidden tensions and learning to let them go. Yeah, I saw a guy wearing flip-flops the other day, and he was just standing there, but his toes were constantly... Sure. So he had, like, the strap over the top of his feet, and he was just using his toes to push down so hard the whole time that his toes, his knuckles were right, his toe knuckles. It's so crazy, and and that'll steal away function from your glutes and from your hamstrings. So oftentimes people will be like, oh, my low back's killing me. Well, guess what? You're gripping the floor like a bird. Of course your low back is going to be killing you because that's not giving a chance for your glutes and uh, you know your deep hip muscles to act to hold you straight up. So, yeah, the, the this book has sent us on a completely new journey where... You know, we're, we're kind of trying to explain what we do, what we, we teach our clients to do in very simple terms. So somebody could read it and be like, oh, yeah, sure, I've been holding my pelvic floor too tight. Uh, but also we're getting to do some new experimentation, like I get to go floating. I get to go get a Chinese massage where the person doesn't understand English at all. Um, and, you know, and that and that's been fun. Yeah, so we get to write about you know things that we've been passionate about in the past, but also things that we've been passionate about since, like since our, our last book. You know, mm-hmm. like we've both like when when we wrote the, the first couple of books, I was like all about the food, nutrition, food, and I loved fitness and exercise. But now, you know, I've come to understand more about um, you know, alignment and posture and movement quality. And tension and relaxation and walking. And you probably, guys are probably tired of hearing me talk about and write about walking, but just all these things that are that our book is going to be. It's kind of like a like like baby steps. Like every week, here's us. It's it's not always easy, but it's something simple. Like mm-hmm. our goal is to make it simple. So even if it's something that's it's hard to swallow, like this ancestral day was for some of these guys at Precision Nutrition. Like they did, some of them didn't want to do it, and they were afraid. So we made it. Here's an easy way to do it. Yeah. Here's an easy way to try it. You may not love it, but you know, give it a shot, and then see. You know what? What did you learn from it? And what of that uh, experiment can you incorporate 
Like, what positive things from that experiment can you incorporate into your life? And I think some things will stick. Like, the the prototypical reader we're expecting will go through the book in a year. That is a really long time to do a book. You know, if you think of, you know, reading a devotional or some sort of another book that's like day by day, mm-hmm. you know, you do like a paragraph or two paragraphs every morning. It takes you three minutes. You know, our book, you'll be able to read a chapter on the toilet, right? And figuring out what you're going to do next week. Yeah. Just um, use your squatty potty for two minutes rather than 30 seconds. And, you know, you have you have figured out, you know, what to do for the whole week. You've got to make that chapter one. Yeah. The squatty potty one. <laughs> Yeah. So shall we wrap up? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to coming back and sharing some of what I learned at the Ancestral Health Symposium. Um, it's going to be up in Berkeley, three days. It's going to be fun. I remember three days without a car or four days without a car. And that never happens to you. I have not driven a day since I moved to the U.S. No, it's funny. Not nothing against these people, but you know, I'm looking at there's a there's like a Facebook page on like how to hook up with roommates and transportation, all these things, and people are so stressed. Their psoas must be so tight trying to figure out, oh, how am I going to get here? How am I going to get there? So I have a plane ticket that gets me to the airport, and I'm like, oh, I'm sure I can figure out how to get to Berkeley. Yeah, see, you're you're just you're just a different type of guy because I just spent four days by myself in San Diego like three weeks ago, and I spent like the month before that figuring out where I'm gonna eat while I'm there, <laughs> and um, I ended up having some fantastic fish and chips. Um, so you know, it, it, we just no, I'm almost the opposite. Like I know my what time my flight gets there to San Francisco airport, and people are like, "Oh, do you want to meet for dinner?" I'm like, "Well." I do, but I don't want to plan because I don't want to have to rush over there. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna take the BART. I've never been on the Bay Area Rapid Transit. Never, it's like a, a tram kind of a thing. I'm gonna take that to Berkeley. I'm not really sure how long that's gonna take, but I don't want to have to run from the plane to the thing to that. It's it's and, funny uh, because Roland said he's me- meeting uh, Mike T. Nelson mm-hmm. at the airport, and they're gonna take the BART together. And I was like, wow, you're gonna have your own personal. <laughs> like poet reciting person for this trip and he's like no not the bard <laughs> the bart yeah like bart simpson yeah, it was really which funny which would be equally funny which would be equally funny yeah alright well let's wrap up um, enjoy your day I'm hoping that you're listening to us uh, doing something active like um, I don't know walking around or uh, cooking something yummy for lunch or dinner and um, I encourage you to um Hop over to iTunes and uh, give us five stars and love us. We're still learning how to do this, um, baby steps and uh, podcasting, but we're passionate about a lot of things, and it's easier to get it out in speaking than it is in blogging because we have the less and less time to blog, and you're probably noticing that. Yeah, yeah. So um, that is it for now. We wanted to keep it short and sweet, and I think we did. And it is time to eat dinner. Yep. Bon appetit to us. Talk to you guys later. Bye.